Hello, guys, and welcome to the Medicine Made Easy podcast. I am your co-host, Becca. And I'm your other co-host, Josh. Welcome to the show for today. We have a great episode in store for you about type 2 diabetes. But before we do that, I think Josh has a little announcement he'd like to make. As always, we have to start with our disclaimer. This podcast is intended to be educational and provide information. It is not meant to give medical advice. If you have any specific questions or concerns, please talk to your physician. All right. On that note, let's do a little life update because some of our listeners wanted to hear what we were up to behind the behind the microphone. So little life update. As you guys know, I'm a second year med student which means I'm still in the didactic session of my schooling, and we are in the midst of our renal unit. So I'm learning all about the kidney, sitting at home studying most of the time. And I am in my fourth year of medical school, which means that I am applying to residencies, and I just submitted my application this last week, so we're waiting to get some interviews now. And I'm currently on my pediatric orthopedic surgery Subrotation. Fancy, fancy. So, what are you going to be when you grow up, Josh? I applied to radiology. My cute little radiologist. <laughs> All right, guys. So, we are going to start this episode with some fast facts about diabetes. We're going to get into the mechanism, the physiology, all that fun stuff after, but fast facts come first. And before we jump into the fast, pa- fast facts, we just want to give a shout out to Alma, who oh, sent yes. us this topic recommendation. Yes, thank you for the email. We love getting emails and topic requests because, honestly, it makes our job a little bit easier if you just tell us what you want to hear about. (laughs) So, now diving into the fast facts. Fast fact number uno is that diabetes is the seventh leading cause of death in the U.S., type 2 diabetes. Um, So, there's two different types. Today, we're talking about type 2 diabetes. We'll talk about type 1 diabetes in a different episode, but everything we talk about today is type 2 diabetes. So, seventh leading cause of death in the U.S. Very, yeah, very significant, very important. So, second fast fact is that between 1990 and 2010, the number of people with type 2 diabetes tripled. Wow. Tripled. And you want to know what correlates with that triple in type 2 diabetes? What is it? The obesity epidemic. So, We have a lot more people that are overweight, obese in our country, which means a lot more people have type 2 diabetes. And we're going to get into how that all correlates later in the episode. Um, The third fast fact that we have for today, the third and final fast fact, is that one in three adults have prediabetes. Now, you might not know exactly what that means, but Josh is going to get into that a little bit. One in three have prediabetes. And of these people with pre-diabetes, so a step before full-blown diabetes, nine out of ten of them don't even know that they have it. Yeah, diabetes is one of those tricky ones where you don't always feel the symptoms, so you don't know. Yeah, which can be very dangerous. So that is all of the fast facts that I got. Thank you for some fast facts. You want to jump into it with some history now? Give us a little background. Yes, let's dive into the history. So... I quickly did a little deep deep dive into history of diabetes, but because not until recently, um, there wasn't really a distinction between type 2 and type 1 diabetes. So the history was a little foggy because I was trying to just find stuff about type 2. Um, But anyways, let's dive into what diabetes mellitus, which is the same thing as type 2 diabetes, (laughs) what does that actually mean? What do those words mean? 
Well, no shock here. They come from the Greek word, from Greek origin, which is what a lot of medical um, words come from. Diabetes means to pass through, and mellitus means honey or sweet. And you want to know why um, it got this honey sweet little name? I'm thinking it's something that's going to gross most of us out. Yeah, it's going to gross you out big time. So before they had better testing options for people with diabetes, in order to get diagnosed with it, the doctor had to take a little sample of your of your urine and take a little sip of it. If it tasted sweet, you had diabetes. I'm glad that we've made some changes in the medical field. Yeah, I do not want to take little sips of everyone's pee <laughs> to see if they have diabetes. No, thank you. Um, so that's the meaning of the word diabetes mellitus. Um, and then I'm kind of jumping all over in this history because there wasn't really a very linear way to go about it. So in 1921, um, insulin was discovered. The chemical insulin, Josh is going to tell us all about this later, but in 1921, insulin was, was discovered. And how they discovered that this could help with people with diabetes is that they had dogs as their sample, as their sample population. And they took out the pancreas of the pancreas of these dogs and then ejected insulin into them and figured out that that helped with their diabetes. So kind of wacky. Poor pups. Yeah, poor puppies. But they figured out what insulin is. And that's very, very important. And it won them a Nobel Prize. Um, so then there was little jump and they were doing all of this research to figure out all of these different chemicals and all of the uh, pathophysiology behind diabetes. But I'm not going to dive into that because it's boring for me, which means it'd be a little boring for you if I talked about all that stuff. Um, So around the 1930s, 1940s, they figured out that there's two different types of diabetes, diabetes type one and diabetes type two. So not until like the 1930s, 1940s did they figure that out. So then jumping ahead to something that I thought was kind of interesting, not until 1955 did they have oral diabetes medications. Before this, you had to inject yourself with insulin, um, but then they made pills that you could swallow that made life a lot easier for diabetics. Especially type 2 diabetics. Yes, especially type 2. And then the last little piece of history I have is that in 1977, they discovered or created the first hemoglobin A1C test, which you might not know what that is, but if you're someone with diabetes, every single time you go to the doctor, that's what they're going to check. They're going to check your A1C. And we'll get into what that test actually is a little bit more later. Yeah, but it's a very significant thing. If you have diabetes, you know what we're talking about. If you don't, then you're going to learn about it as Josh dives into the, the physiology behind diabetes. All right, so now that we've got a little history under our belts, what exactly is diabetes? So as she talked about earlier, Becca mentioned the sweet urine. So diabetes is literally just having too much sugar or glucose in your blood, which then leads to having extra in your urine. And the reason that this happens, it can be one of two ways, as we said earlier, type 1 or type 2. And type 2 is by far the most common. It makes up like 95% of all cases of diabetes. And in type 2, the reason that this happens is, as Becca mentioned earlier, the pancreas plays a big role in diabetes. So usually the pancreas, when it's healthy in the body, it has specific cells in the pancreas called beta cells. And these cells create insulin, which is one of the hormones in the body. And what insulin does is when you eat food or especially foods with a lot of carbohydrates or sugars, 
it senses that you have those high levels of sugar in your blood and insulin is released and insulin goes out to different parts of the body and it signals to cells to take up sugar out of the blood so that you don't have it circulating through your body and then those cells store the sugar to use as energy later. However, with type 2 diabetes, eventually your body either stops responding to insulin the way it normally did, meaning your body senses their sugar, it keeps pumping out more and more insulin, trying to get it absorbed, but those storage centers throughout the body don't respond to insulin the way they usually do, so your blood sugar levels stay high. So, does that mean that if I eat a bunch of food and I'm constantly overeating on crappy food and my body just keeps plugging out this insulin, that the insulin, the cells that make the insulin just kind of get fatigued and get tired? Yeah, so you get decreased response first, usually, but the other option, as you said, is eventually those cells that create the insulin, they're going to start to kind of peter out and they're not going to be able to produce as much insulin as they used to. So not only does your body stop responding to it, but it stops making the insulin as well, which is when you start to really get in trouble, and that's when your blood sugar levels can really get too high. So the blood sugar gets really, really high because the insulin is just no longer sucking it back up. Right. So it just spills into the urine and gets all over the body. Yep. Initially, the body starts producing way more insulin because it takes a lot more to get the typical response you would have wanted. And then eventually when it's making those high levels, it just can't keep up. And then those cells that are in the pancreas start to lose their effectiveness and die off. The good news is early on, this can be reversible if you do the right things. Mm-hmm. Preventative health, baby. <laughs> All right. So now that we kind of talked about what actually happens physiologically in diabetes, let's talk a little bit about the risk factors or what causes it. Okay, guys, there are quite a few risk factors, but some of them are more important than others. So like we kind of alluded to before, preventative health is so important with diabetes because it truly can be reversible. So some of the risk factors are number one, being overweight or obese. This is a huge, huge risk factor because it's something that you can control. You can control your weight. You can control your BMI. So it's something that with a healthy diet and exercise, you can help to decrease this risk factor for yourself. And in fact, being obese makes you 20 to 40 times more likely to have type 2 diabetes. Wow, that's significant. Yes, especially when I think it's like 80% of the adults in the U.S. are overweight or, or, or obese. Yeah. So, And I'm sure that it's other factors that are associated with the obesity that also yep. play a role. Yep, definitely. So. Not only does being obese or overweight increase your risk, but also the way that the fat is distributed in your body also has a little bit of an effect. So people that tend to hold fat more in their, um, like in their belly, in their abdomen, those people are at an increased risk of type 2 diabetes as well compared to people who hold fat in other areas of their body. And one of the ways that they measure this risk factor is by something called waist circumference. So it's exactly what it sounds like. They measure around your waist and the circumference is what they use to determine your risk factor. So for men, if you have a waist circumference of 40 inches or above, that increases your risk of type 2 diabetes. And for women, if you have a waist circumference of 35 inches or above, that increases your risk. Um, Something else that increases your risk of getting type 2 diabetes is your physical activity level. So exercise is so, 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 so important for so many reasons, but 
Also, it helps you to decrease your risk of getting diabetes, which is so important. So ideally, you should be getting like 30 to 60 minutes of exercise every single day. That's not just once a week. That's every single day. So go out on a walk in the morning and in the evening. Do something besides just lay on the couch and watch Netflix all day to not only make yourself feel better, but to decrease your risk of this chronic disease. Something else that is a risk factor for type 2 diabetes is your family history. So if you have parents or siblings with type 2 diabetes, that does not bode well for you. Um, Race is also a risk factor. So the mechanism or why people of specific races have um, increased risk of type 2 diabetes isn't really clear. But black people, Hispanic, American, and American Indians have an increased risk of developing type 2 diabetes. Um, another risk factor is smoking. Smoking is just bad. If you're a smoker, you need to quit because it increases your risk of every terrible thing. (laughs) Um, and then age. So type two diabetes actually used to be called adult onset diabetes. And due to the childhood obesity epidemic, more kids are getting type two diabetes. So they actually had to change the name of this, which is so, so sad because, Kids shouldn't have to be dealing with how to control their diabetes. Um, But so age is a risk factor as well. The longer you've been living, especially if you have some of these other risk factors like inactivity and obesity, your risk goes up. Um, So I guess the biggest takeaway from all of these risk factors is that prevention is so, so, so important. Um, Some of the stuff like I talked about is eating healthy making sure you're eating a lot of fruits and vegetables and whole grains and nuts and seeds and limiting the candy, the potato chips, the fast food, all of the stuff that you know isn't healthy for you. Uh, Something else is, like I said, exercise. You need to be doing some type of physical activity every single day. And I'm going to be like a broken record because preventative health is so important, not only for this uh, for type 2 diabetes, but for so many things in healthcare. And I think we really need to shift our focus to preventative health, but I could go on a side note for a very long time about that. Um, And then something else that ties into it, ties in with eating healthy and exercising is losing weight. If you're in a category of obese or overweight, you really need to slim down a little bit to decrease your risk of getting this condition. Um, And I guess I'll get off my soapbox (laughs) because I could talk about this forever. But instead of talking about this anymore and more belaboring my point, what is the next topic we should get into, Josh? All right. Next, I think I'll talk a little bit about what it actually takes to be diagnosed with diabetes. So where do they draw the line? So as we mentioned earlier, there was that test that they developed in the 1970s, which is called the hemoglobin A1C level, or a lot of people just call it their A1C. And what that does is it looks at your hemoglobin or your red blood cells. And it's essentially a report card of where your blood sugar levels have been over the last like two to three months. So unlike your like blood glucose levels that you hear people talk about all the time where they take a pinprick and it tells you what your levels are right then, this gives you more of a long term picture so you can see where your body's kind of sitting at all the time, which is really a better indicator of how your diabetes or your blood sugar is being controlled. And the cutoffs for that to technically have diabetes you have to have an A1C level greater than 6.5%. So anything above 6.5% is considered diabetes. Normal is anything below 5.7%. 
So obviously that leaves a little area in between the 5.7 and 6.5, and that's that pre-diabetes area that we talked about earlier that a lot of people have but don't know they have. And finding out that you're in that area, that's when it's super important to make those lifestyle changes because this can be reversible. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was working in clinic, um, we had a lot of people that would come in, and most of the adults we had had diabetes, so they would get their A1C checked. And a lot of them would be like, oh, I ate nothing but spinach yesterday because I knew I had this test in the morning. I just ate spinach and drank water and I didn't eat any junk food yesterday. And then their A1C would be like 10 and they would be so upset and they'd be like, how is it so high? I ate so healthy yesterday. And then we had to be like, well, what did you eat the past three months? Because that's what really measures. Yeah. One healthy day is not going to sneak by on this test. No. So you can't fool your doctor. And the A1C is the one that the doctors, once you are diagnosed with diabetes, that's the test that they're going to follow at your repeat checkups to see how your treatment management is going. So some of the other ways that they can test or diagnose diabetes, one is with a fasting blood glucose level. So for this one, this is the finger stick where they just take a little sample of your blood and test it. But in order for the test to be reliable, you can't have eaten anything for eight hours before the test. And then the cutoffs for this one, if you're above 126, that's considered diabetes, but usually they won't make that diagnosis with just one fasting blood glucose level that's high. Usually they would want to repeat it another day to see if that's actually how your body is or if it was just an anomaly. Most people are below below 100, so again, in that area between 100 and 126, that's your like pre-diabetes zone. So if I have pre-diabetes and then I get on this health kick and I exercise and I eat a bunch of healthy food for a long time, does that mean that it's going to reverse my pre-diabetes or am I just going to stay in the pre-diabetes state? Yeah, so that's the great thing about catching it early. If you change your lifestyle and you adopt those healthier activities, you can actually reverse it, not just stop it and like slow your progression. You can head back to where you would be within the normal range. Hmm. And then a third test that they use other than the blood, it's another blood glucose level. But instead of being a fasting one, it's what they call an oral glucose tolerance test. So for this, they give you a little like sugar pill that you take in the office. And then two hours later, that's when they run the test on your blood to see what your glucose levels are. So they're essentially giving you sugar and then seeing how your body responds to it. So normally, most people after they have that, two hours later, their blood sugar level should be less than 140. People who are diabetic, their blood sugar levels are over 200 at that point. And then the pre-diabetics are, again, in between there somewhere. So that theirs stays really high because that insulin doesn't get pumped out of those cells from the pancreas. So it's just floating around in there. Yeah, the insulin either doesn't get pumped out enough or the receptors throughout the body just don't respond to the insulin that your body is making. Okay. Sounds good. Any other tests that they use? Those are the three big ones. There are a couple others that are available. They can do some random blood glucose levels as well, but those tend to not be as reliable because you don't know for sure when you ate last, and it's hard to know what your your body should be responding to. Okay, sounds good. So now that we know how to diagnose it, can you tell us what some of the like symptoms or some of the effects having diabetes can cause on the body? Yes, absolutely. So let's dive into the negative effects that diabetes has on your body because even though most of the time people don't really feel symptoms from their diabetes, when they have type 2 diabetes, they usually don't feel symptoms from it. But I saw this analogy that 
type 2 diabetes is like having termites in your house. So it's slow growing. The damage is really hidden, but it's very, very significant. And it's a problem that needs to be addressed. So like Josh was saying, when you have type 2 diabetes, you have all of this extra sugar floating around in your body that's not supposed to be there. So with all this sugar in your blood, it can cause problems pretty much everywhere because blood flows through your body everywhere. This sugar can flow through your body everywhere and it is not good at all. Um, So I guess some of the biggest uh, negative effects that having type 2 diabetes can have is on your blood vessels. So if you imagine your blood vessels are very small to begin with, but then you have all of this extra sugar and gunk floating through them that can get lodged onto the wall and cause hardening of the arteries. And that's called atherosclerosis, correct? Correct. Okay. One of the hardest words for me to say. (laughs) So it can cause hardening of the arteries. It can cause high blood pressure. And both of these together increase your risk of heart attack and stroke. Um, Something else that it can cause is something called diabetic neuropathy, which maybe you've heard of it. This is where people with diabetes lose sensation in their extremities because of vascular problems. So they no longer feel things um, in their extremities, which is really, really bad because they could have injuries or infections, but they wouldn't feel them. And that's when things like amputations have to take place. And actually, it's really, really common for diabetics to have their foot or leg amputated. A lot of toes that you'll see getting taken off because of diabetes. Yep. And that is not a good thing at all. But that's also why if you have diabetes, when you go to see your primary care doctor, they're probably going to have you take off your shoes, take off your socks, and they're going to do a thorough foot exam to make sure there's no injuries or calluses or anything going on down there because you're not going to be able to feel it. Yep. I remember during my family medicine rotation, multiple diabetes checks every single day And it was always the exact same test that you ran through, which I'm sure you'll get into some of the other things later. But we'd look at eyes, you listen to heart, and then you look over the skin of the feet. And then you also test sensation with a little bitty little fiber to see if they have that sensation or if their nerves are affected. Yep. It is something that's so, so common in the family medicine world. Um, So something else that, like Josh said, is we check their eyes. So sugar can travel in your blood like we've already talked about, but there's a lot of little tiny blood vessels in your eye that can get clogged up by all the sugar, which can actually cause you to go blind. Um, Another thing that diabetes can affect is your mouth and your gums, because if you imagine you have all this extra sugar in your body, it's like having candy in your mouth all of the time because there's so much extra sugar in your saliva. So it's really important to have good oral hygiene if you have diabetes. It's important if you don't have diabetes, but it's extra, extra important if you do have diabetes because um, it's really common to have um, dental problems. Another thing that diabetes can affect, seriously, the list just goes on and on because blood travels everywhere in your body. And if you have extra sugar in your blood, it's going to affect everything. Um, But another really important one is kidney problems. So a lot of diabetics have Um, diabetic, they have diabetic nephropathy, which is just kidney failure due to diabetes pretty much. And it's really sad. And a lot of times they have to be put on dialysis. Um, And that makes a lot of sense because the kidneys are the filtering system of the body for the blood. So all of your blood gets pumped through your kidneys. So they're getting exposed to that sugar over and over and over again. So it can definitely have a lot of effects there. 
Definitely. And this is also where that sugar starts to spill over into your urine because the kidneys help make urine and that's where it starts to spill over. Um, Another common thing that isn't as serious, I guess, as other complications, but skin. Diabetics can have skin problems because if you imagine they have all this extra sugar in their body and extra sugar spilling out into their urine. And if you didn't know, wherever sugar goes, wherever sodium goes, that's where water goes. So diabetics actually can lose a lot of water because of their condition. And this can cause them to have dry, cracked skin. Um, And it's also another reason that diabetics can get dehydrated really easily. Yep. And that's actually, that can be one of the signs that you have diabetes. If you find that suddenly you're more way more thirsty all the time, you're urinating a lot. Those can be signs that your body is losing a lot of sugar in the urine, and that's where all your fluid is going. That's especially common in type 1 diabetes, but it can be seen in type 2 as well. Yes, and it is such an important symptom. If you are experiencing that, go see your doctor. Yeah. Um, so that's all I have for the effects on the body. There's a lot of other ones. Seriously, the list goes on and on and on because diabetes can affect every single part of your body but I just talked on on the main ones. So now that we've gone over that, should we talk about some of the treatment options for type 2 diabetes? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Like we talked about before, so this is going to kind of mirror some of the risk factors, but trying to catch it early so that you can reverse it is very important. So some of the keys are going to be to maintain a good, healthy diet and to exercise. So a lot of times once you're diagnosed with diabetes, your physician will recommend a low-carbohydrate diet because your body can't respond to those high spikes in blood sugar because your insulin system isn't as strong as it used to be. So having a good diet and exercising are going to be especially important. And if you do that, even if you do start on medications at some point, you may be able to come down and not have to use as much medication or take it as often. So lifestyle modification and changes is really the key, especially early. Yes, and tying into that, Exercise doesn't have to be you going to the fanciest gym and having the best personal trainer. Exercise can be as simple as, like I said, going on a walk two times a day or going on a really long walk after work or shoving your coffee table out of the way and doing a home workout. That's what Josh and I do. Or going for a bike ride or going to the pool and going swimming. It's a little hard with COVID, but I feel like there's just so many options to get physical activity in and you really just have to find what works best for you and keep doing it every single day because just going to the gym once a week for a half hour is not going to help reverse your diabetes. You really need to find something to do every day that's going to get your heart rate up and get you burning some calories and that's what's really going to make an impact. Mm -hmm. That being said, if you do have to start treatment as a type 2 diabetic, I know a lot of people, when they hear diabetes, they immediately think insulin, which is that hormone we talked about earlier. However, for type 2 diabetes, in cases where your body's not necessarily as responsive to insulin, but it is still making some insulin on its own, you usually don't jump straight to insulin. That's In type 1, you go to it right away. But in type 2, there are other options. So there's actually medications that you can take by mouth so that you don't have to do injections all the time. And the most common one by far is metformin. So a lot of times, even if you're in that area and your A1C isn't too high above the diabetes cutoff, and they're saying, oh, try some diet, exercise, they may start you on metformin while you do that because it is such a safe medication. So metformin, essentially, it just works in a way that increases your body's responsiveness to insulin. 
so that the insulin that your body's still making works better. And it, unlike some other medications, it doesn't cause hypoglycemia where your blood sugar gets too low because that can also be very dangerous. And it doesn't impact your weight. It doesn't make you gain weight or lose weight. The one side effect you can have with uh, metformin, you can have some GI disturbances like diarrhea, stuff like that. And you can have B12 deficiency, which is a lot of times where a lot of times if you're on metformin, they'll try to supplement with some extra B12 to make sure that you're getting that. After metformin, a couple of the other ones that are, are common, I'm not going to go into the specific drug names, but all of the medications within each of these classes tend to end with the same thing. So one of them is the flozins. So there's going to be another part of the word and then flozin. And those, again, just impact how your body processes insulin and how it uses it. And those are moderately effective. They tend to not work quite as well as metformin. But again, they don't cause hypoglycemia or low sugar. But these ones can help with weight loss. So depending on what other conditions you have going on, what you're like, your body shape is like you could potentially use flozins to help with that however these tend to be a little more or they have a few more side effects they're a little harder on your kidneys so if you don't have good kidney function they they can be an issue they can also predispose you to having UTIs because they tend to pump more of the blood that you or the sugar you have in your blood out into your urine and when you have a lot of sugar in your urine, it predisposes you to getting like bacteria and different things to grow in the urine so you can get UTIs. Uh, and it can also cause hypotension because as you're losing more of that sugar in your urine, you can have low blood pressures. Hmm. Another one that you may have heard of is the glyptins. Uh, these, again, are an oral medication. They're moderately effective. They don't really impact weight. So they're in a similar class to... Uh, metformin in terms of their side effects. However, the one big side effect these have is they can cause pancreatitis, which mm. because they're affecting insulin and that's where the hormone is made, the, the pancreas can be affected and be, become inflamed. Uh, one of the second line medications, which obviously second line means it's not your first choice usually, it's something that you either switch to or you add on if like metformin or one of those other ones isn't working on its own. And that's the sulfonylureas, which are effective. They work well. However, they can cause weight gain. And these are the first medication that can actually cause you to have low blood sugar levels because of the way they act. So that's why they're a second line, because we don't want people with type 2 diabetes to gain more weight, and we don't want them to have hypoglycemia. Right. Because hypoglycemia can be very dangerous if your brain isn't getting enough sugar to function properly. Mm -hmm. And then if all of those oral medications don't work properly and your body gets to the point where it's just not producing enough insulin on its own, then you get to the point where you would actually start using insulin. So then you would have to be injecting yourself. And there's a ton of different classes of insulin. There's ones that act really quick. So if you eat a meal and your blood sugar goes way up, you take a specific kind of insulin and it brings it back down. There's some that are moderately long-acting, so if you know you have a meal coming up, you take them ahead of time, and then there's ones that last for like a full day, and you take those to just kind of try to keep you level as you go along. But insulin is something that has to be managed pretty tightly. They adjust your doses. They have you inject different times of the day. And really the entire treatment for all of this stuff with type 2 diabetes is a like ever-evolving like algorithm that's based yeah. on 
your own levels. So you could be on something for a long time, and then if your A1C start creeping up, they may have to adjust it or switch to a different one. And depending on what other diseases or other health risk factors you have, there are certain medications that are better for you than others. So it's really something that's individual, very, very individualized. Yeah, definitely. And I guess the biggest thing is being a well-managed, being a well-managed diabetic is the goal for the healthcare system. But the goal above that is to have people who prevent their diabetes. So that's why prevention is so important because Nobody wants to be on medications for the rest of their life. Nobody wants to be checking their blood sugar after every single meal for the rest of their life. No, and we know all of those outcomes and the side effects and stuff from diabetes that we discussed earlier. So if you can avoid getting to that point, you can avoid starting medication. You can just be healthier Mm -hmm. and change your diet and exercise. That's really the goal. Yes, definitely. Well, I guess that's all that we have. I think that's it. Should we do a little summary? Yeah, we can do a little wrap up quick. All right. So diabetes is type 2 diabetes. There's type 1 and type 2. Type 2 diabetes used to be called adult onset. Now it's not because of the obesity epidemic in kids. Uh, Basically, it's where your body stops responding to insulin well and stops pumping out enough insulin. So you just have a lot of extra sugar in your body. Uh, Some of the complications are it can increase your risk of heart attack and stroke and peripheral neuropathy where you don't feel those ulcers or infections um, on your feet. Um, It's very, very common. It's the seventh leading cause of death in the U.S., and the numbers just keep on creeping up along with the obesity numbers in our country. So prevention is the best medicine. Yes, prevention is key. And if you are diagnosed with it, it's super important to keep good follow-up with your physician and keep a good working relationship with them to make sure that your treatment plan is something that is going to be effective in treating your diabetes, but is also manageable for you because mm-hmm. they don't want to start you on this uh, treatment plan that you're not going to follow through on because then things are just going to get worse. Yes. So it's important to have a good relationship there and to be honest with them about your diet and exercise and lifestyle because they can try to help you change those things. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all we've got for you. So thank you for tuning in. As always, if you have any suggestions for us, you can email us at medicinemadeeasypodcast at gmail.com, and you can also check us out on Instagram. Thanks, guys.